1: She's a fashion blogger, model, and entrepreneur. She's amazing. The latest tips on fashion, beauty, wellness, travel, and her lifestyle. And now, here's the founder and creator of Not Basic Blonde, Olasha.
2: hello everyone welcome back to another episode of not basic Moms podcast i'm sure all of us can use a great life and career advice from very knowledgeable and very talented expert as seen on shocks of sunset fox 5 news cbc news oprah yahoo news my guest james gay psychotherapist with over 20 years experience will be giving us a great advice James has been helping clients to heal from perfectionism and live life from a greater sense of self-compassion and enjoyment. So in this episode, James and I will be discussing so many great topics. We'll be talking about how to overcome an imposter syndrome, how our mistakes help us grow, how the person who triggers us is our teacher, what kind of friends help us thrive, is it true that people can only give you love they can give themselves what is tragic optimism, how to set boundaries, how to overcome fear of failure, how to find new friends, and so much more. But before we dive in, don't forget to subscribe, rate and review Not Basic Blonde podcast on Apple
3: Podcasts.
2: Hi, James. I'm so glad to have you on my podcast. How are you?
3: I'm doing well. Thank you so much for having me.
2: (laughs) Yeah, thank you for being my guest.
3: Happy to be here.
2: Yeah, thank you. And we are so excited to learn more about you. So let's dive in. And would you please tell our listeners about yourself?
3: Sure, I'm a licensed psychotherapist, actually a marriage and family therapist in California with a private practice in West Hollywood. I've been a a therapist for over 20 years now. And uh, before that, my identity was as a competitive gymnast. (laughs) But yeah, I I love what I do. It's inspiring. Sometimes I get questions from, from people saying, oh my gosh, how can you do that job? It would freak me out. And I'm like, no, I feel a sense of care and inspiration. And to see incremental growth from my clients is just self-affirming as far as I'm concerned. So (laughs) happy to be a therapist.
2: It's definitely rewarding, but it's tough, I think, I guess mentally as well, because you have to kind of process all the information. And it's so hard sometimes not take it too close as far as like we hear all these stories all day. And it's sometimes... It's so hard not to take too close to your heart. How did you decide to become psychotherapist?
3: I am one of those rare few therapists that I kind of knew it in high school of all things. <laughs> I had several close friends who would come for me to me for support and feedback. And, and they just felt like they could be vulnerable and share things in ways that they couldn't with our other peers because they knew I wouldn't judge them. And yeah. And I had some really, really bad experiences as a client from therapists that were, were either unethical or ineffective or just not very good. And I had some extremely positive experiences with therapists that really helped me to to understand myself better, learn, grow. Sometimes I describe therapy as assisted self-study, that it's it's like getting a PhD in yourself <laughs> and ultimately building a better relationship with ourselves through the process of, of uncovering and discovering and, and learning how to navigate life in a different way that just provides like my website, living more fully. It allows us to live more fully. So that's that's part of my history in, in terms of becoming a therapist.
2: <laughs> that's amazing. And I've had so many ineffective therapists as well. And I know mm. what you mean by that. And it's just hard to find the right one where they will totally understand you kind of because yes, sometimes they're just giving you general advice but right. the situation is so different. What issues the most
3: do you help with? Like what issues are the most common? Sure, sure. I would say looking over the course of my, the clients that seem to come into my office the most the last 20 plus years, it's really those that are struggling to find a sense of overall life satisfaction and enjoyment. Many of my clients outwardly have external sort of successes in terms of their careers or finances or other kinds of things, but they still don't feel like this sense of gratification and, and really enjoyment. It can it, it kind of feel like it's never good enough or they're chasing the carrot on the stick that, that they never reach. So so it's common things like that are perfectionism or self-criticism, or always feeling like you're not able to digest or feel the nourishment from actions that are taken. So it's really helping those still achieve goals of excellence if that happens to be what they want, but doing it from a place of greater self-acceptance and compassion and recognizing that that is a process That's not linear. It's back and forth. There's growth spurts, and then there's regression, there's mistakes, and there's achievements. So it's, yeah, it's helping clients to really learn to be their own best friend as they move forward.
2: Yeah. And I think one of them as well is imposter syndrome. So what are your best tips on Mm. overcoming an imposter syndrome?
3: I I, I think we all know that well is... (laughs) It's part of our common humanity in many respects. I remember the the first client I had with my first private practice office I just opened, it was 2000. And I remember walking down the hallway to to go greet my first client ever in private practice and feeling like a total fraud. (laughs) And I think part of it is that when we're doing something new or we're pushing our edge when we're feeling some level of discomfort, because to feel a sense of competency about anything that we're doing, it takes practice and it takes consistency. And it's usually not there from day one. So allowing ourselves permission to have those feelings and thoughts, and then what we do with it, how we respond to it is what matters most. It's not a problem that we have that thought of like, Oh, who am I or what do I have to offer? It's how we actually respond to that and providing the the self-validation, the reassurances, like you can do this, you got this, there's a reason why you're here. It's a thing. It, again, we, we all struggle with some level of it uh, across our lifetime.
2: I agree. And when it feels uncomfortable, it means
3: we're growing. Exactly. I think, I think for far too long, Many situations, we try to avoid discomfort at all costs, but it's actually discomfort that allows us to learn and grow and reach and become a fuller human beings. So I wish that we can encourage each other to, to push past that discomfort and to befriend it in a way where it's like, okay, I hear you, I see you, I feel you. Let me attend to you from a, a place of kindness versus judgment, because when we respond to it with extra, when we're judging the judgment of the judgment, <laughs> it tends to just get more intense, last longer, and get in the way, become a barrier to what we want to do and and what our purpose and mission is in life.
2: Yeah, it's just hardest part is to push through that part. And yes, I'm sure you totally. I can do it. <laughs>
3: Exactly. How our mistakes help us grow? Well, in order to achieve success, there's got to be a lot more mistakes. It's sort of like I'm reminded of ski instructions. When going down and learning to ski the slopes, it really does require us to fall. If we're not risking falling, then we're not learning and growing. We're just staying stagnant, right? So so in order to reach our goals, we have to give ourselves space and permission to mess up along the way, to, to, to do it in a non-linear fashion, to just to recognize that that is the essential ingredient <laughs> to to moving forward, to doing what we want in life, to to reaching our goals. We have to be open to making mistakes. It's it's not it's not sort of a, it doesn't it doesn't dictate our worth or value. It's just simply a mishap, a misperception, it's again, it's how we learn and grow.
2: I agree. And especially I see that a lot in dating. My friends share with me a lot Mm. online dating. They see that Uh guys are so careful that they completely refuse to take the next step or take further step. And they just afraid to make Uh
3: a mistake. (laughs) Totally, totally. And then and then who can be intimate if you're trying trying to be perfect because you're not really showing up as your full self <laughs> it's like who are you really if if all you're showing is the the, the cookie cutter picture
2: <laughs> yeah have you ever had like the worst cases in your practice or like the craziest stories as far as like
3: some people you helped overcome challenging yeah. story I mean, I would say the unfortunate thing about my profession and many professions is that it's almost like there can be like a hazing process in the beginning of of career choices where sometimes the most difficult situations, scenarios, and, and environments are presented earliest in our career when we're the least prepared for it. So my first job out of undergrad or out of grad school before I got licensed was at a a residential treatment center for those that were triply diagnosed, meaning that they had HIV or AIDS, that they had a mental health diagnosis and a substance use disorder often. And it was, it was not the best a framework with which to, to, to do the work. We were, uh, the therapists, the counselors were expected not to just provide therapy, but also case management and also figuring out how residents could get along and offering services. It just was uh, a really difficult setup. So, so in that regard, there were the most. Ah, challenging stuff like barbs being thrown my way in sessions, people belittling or putting down or threatening. I had to have a temporary restraining order against one uh, resident, one client, because they had speed psychosis and thought that I could read their mind and had these intrusive thoughts that I, that they thought that I was... Um, responsible for, (laughs) I'd threatened to build, burn the building down, those types of things. So my horror stories really come from my earliest sort of times with that. Thankfully in private practice, that's not really the case. And I feel extremely grateful for having, working with clients that are just like you and me, right? That, that want to work on personal growth, that are struggling with anxiety, depression, perfectionism, relationship issues, whatever it happens to be, but, but there. are they're volunteering to be involved stood in improving their lives. And they're coming at a time when they're, they're ripe for change. So in many ways, much more rewarding work.
2: <laughs> nice. And how do you like unplug when you come home? I mean, you, you probably think about clients still, how do you kind of switch to the mm-hmm. time when you're at home and time when you work, because I mean, it's overwhelming. Yeah. Sure,
3: sure. Yeah, it's, it's taken some learning and some negotiation along the way. I, again, I remember early in my career instances, I was working at UCSF AIDS health project and those were really the first therapy clients that I saw and And I remember instances where I would, sort of be impacted by the stories that I was hearing and take that with me outside. And, and I, I, I developed this practice that I'd learn it's from Tonglen meditation from this Buddhist nun, uh, Pema Shadrone. And it's basically this process where you breathe in the discomfort, the pain, the suffering, either you're experiencing or others are and then breathing out cool relief whatever it is you would like to have happen and and it creates this at least for me in that moment it created this transformational thing where it was like i could send love and care and support and relief for this client in those moments and then that process sort of helped me let let go thankfully these days I don't feel like I take it with me as much. It's a fine line, right? Like you need to be present and invested with clients, and to be able to sort of do the work. Empathy is a, and a really important skill to understand and care about the experience of another as a therapist. It's sort of our our, our magic powers, our secret weapon or something—not <laughs> weapon, but what I mean. Yeah. And and so being able to. Yeah, to be able to invest in that way, but also retain a sense of self, right? To be grounded in our own bodies and experience, to be able to to negotiate that. It's a fine line, but but yeah, with practice, it, it feels like it gets easier and easier.
2: Great. I love your approach. Yeah, it totally makes sense.
3: <laughs> right? <laughs>
2: yeah. And the person who triggers us is the, our teacher. Would you please tell us more about it?
3: Sure. Sure. Yeah, I mean there's this there's a psychological concept called projection, right? And it's, it's where we often sort of find people to project our own dis- con- dis-ease with. So if we find someone that really, really bothers us or that we just don't get along with and we spend a lot of psychic energy and space doing that with, or projection can happen in loving, intimate relationships too with friends or family or loved ones. It's it's not necessarily a bad thing. We all do it. It's natural, right? It's, it's one way of trying to not feel so much internal conflict or dissonance. So if we sort of blame someone else or judge someone else for things that actually exist within us it can feel like it releases some of that tension but unfortunately it also can create hurt or harm or not allow us to to sort of do the work of accepting whatever it is we're trying to get rid of and also be able to work with it in a way that that relieves us of that pain so so yeah it's it's really it's when we find that there are certain people that just rub us the wrong way it's it can be a surefire way to go oh yeah i have some work to do here (laughs) in accepting maybe these parts of myself and then learning and growing and working with that in a way that that doesn't have to be projected so much
2: (laughs) i feel like the hardest part is to realize and understand what are they trying to
3: teach Mm us (laughs) totally Yes, exactly. <laughs> and in order to do that, we, we have to stop judging ourselves for doing it in the first place. Because if we don't, then it's not safe enough for that unconscious material, that stuff that's just maybe a slightly outside of our awareness to rise to the surface so that we can actually do something with it. If we're just on autopilot and it's not safe enough, uh, for us to be self-reflective and learn about what's going on in our internal world, then we're just going to be on autopilot. It's, it's it's not an effective way of, of learning and growing and getting to know ourselves.
2: Yeah, I agree. Absolutely. And what kind of friends help us thrive and types of people we need in life?
3: Mm-hmm. Well, I think we, we have both a need for mirroring, sort of a twinship needs of of seeing ourselves validated in another who shares common values and interests and those kinds of things and we also have need for diversity of experience and differences and so on that may be more complementary but different in in various ways so, so sometimes if we get some one need met in our primary relationship, then we need the difference in our friendships or other relationships. So it's, it's really about recognizing across the board, I think some basic core values need to be in common. If we have, for example, a core value of kindness and we're friends with someone who's mean or puts people down or is very judgy, then that's going to be pretty incompatible and not work well, right? So there has to be some semblance of core values in, in common. But if we have different interests or skill sets or life experiences, that can bring a, a difference of opinion or we can learn and grow from 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 that too. So so recognizing both of those things I think is 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 important.
2: Yeah. Do you believe that who you surround yourself with, you become? Uh,
3: well, we're certainly influenced by. Right. So a lot of us grow up with experiences where we didn't get certain fundamental needs met. Even the best of parents make mistakes and don't always give us what we need. So in order to sort of change things up, one of the things that we often do is our earliest relationships sort of mirror for us how to be in relationships. And if those were unhealthy or even toxic, then we often find or search out or people find us that sort of fit that dynamic. And and part of maturity and learning and growing is understanding, oh, wait, this is sort of repetition compulsion. I am reenacting in my adulthood childhood experiences and relationships. And if they're un- healthy if they're if they're toxic in any way we need to understand that recognize that and then set limits and if those boundaries aren't consistently respected enough and if there isn't enough reciprocity in our relationships our friendships then it's also okay to walk away from those relationships that are pulling us down or, or aren't working well or that we outgrow each other in in a variety of ways and then seek people that are more like-minded our, our time is valuable in in this life and we need to be strategic with who we spend it with. And that doesn't mean like being overly rigid or expecting people to be perfect, but it also doesn't mean allowing people to walk all over us or treat us poorly.
2: Oh, I agree. And how do you find new friends? I know you had that on your website and I loved how you laid out everything.
3: Oh, thank you. Yeah, it's it's a thing. I mean, it's sometimes it feels like it's easier. There's structures in place when we're younger, school, seeing our peers every day in certain scenarios, even college and whatnot, and it get it, it can feel like it gets di- more difficult into our uh, adulthood. So it does really require us to have an active participation in that. If we're saying we want friends, but we don't go out, (laughs) we're saying we want friends, but we don't open ourselves up to interacting or initiating conversations, then that's not going to be effective, right? So it's, it, it can be about finding like-minded people. In a variety of settings, are there particular hobbies or interests that we like that we're uh, likely to find kindred souls? Are there online courses? I know we're sort of limited with COVID and everything else right now, but it, it kind of requires us to be creative. Are there are there classes? Are there courses? Are there are there ways that we can find people with similar interests and hobbies online, offline? Eventually, those are those are some of the the starting points. And and like you said, I have a whole list of a variety of possibilities on my website about how to sort of make new friends, maintain friends and deepen friendships on my website as well.
2: Yeah. And as for me, it's always was easy for me to find Mm -hmm. friends. And I have so many people that I Mm -hmm. know, but I only (laughs) have a few close friends. And Mm -hmm. coming from Russia, I'm originally from Eastern Ukraine, but I'm Russian. Mm -hmm. And their friendship definition is different than here because Mm. their friends like they will go in all the way for you and here Mm -hmm. it's a little bit more like kind of flaky i mean people might say oh i'll talk to you later i'll see you later and they're not Mm -hmm. as kind of deep connected to you as they're i mean i don't know why maybe because mentality or something but just that's what I've noticed at first when I came here and I have a few friends and most of my best friends are Russian too because we could provide ourselves that support because other friends (laughs) just like let you down anytime (laughs) I don't know why
3: I hear you (laughs) well yeah it's I think there can be a familiarity with People of our own culture, race, background—in a variety of different ways—a commonality, sort of a shorthand experience. And then there's certain value systems that can come from particular cultures. In terms of like, U.S. Americans tend to be individualistic, out for ourselves. I mean, these are sweeping over generalizations, right? But I think there's elements of truth that that it's 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 not like a collective let's do things for the greater good sort of culture that so many are and that can impede the kind of relationships i think that that we're talking about yeah. thankfully it's 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 still possible regardless of where we're from or where we live it just might mean that it takes extra time or work or kind of discerning a bit differently Who's out there just for themselves. Who's loyal, who's responsive, who's your mainstay. Sometimes I think if we have a handful, two, three, four of really good solid friends that are your go-tos that are there, that show up again, more times than not, this isn't about perfection that, that we're doing really good and that can take time to build. It's something like, oh, I forget the arithmetic, but it's having an acquaintance takes something like a hundred hours and having a closer friends really takes like hundreds and hundreds of hours of experience and conversations and, and getting to know over the course of time. And so sometimes if we are are feeling a a sense of urgency, a real deep need for that kind of connection, and we. And if we don't get it right off the bat, sometimes we can give up too soon, or sometimes we can feel too despondent, like it's not happening fast enough, which can also get in the way of, of allowing there to be enough time and experiences to sort of develop some of those key friendships
2: so true i mean like when i first came here it was different for me now Mm. of course i have more friends and Mm. i kind of developed relationships and i understood how it works but before it was just so weird to me that people were just so separated and everyone just in their own home and totally (laughs) by themselves
3: (laughs) yeah well and i think that there's there's kind of a bit of a loneliness epidemic as a Relates to all that too, because if we're too insular, too rigid, or boundaried, or not vulnerable enough with each other, expecting yeah. again, expecting ourselves to be automatons or only sharing certain parts of ourselves, it 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 creates that distance and and that longing for a deeper and more caring connection that I think you're describing.
2: That makes sense. I think we have. I mean, people here have too many boundaries sometimes and they're afraid Mm. to kind of be vulnerable, like you said, yeah.
3: Yeah, yeah. And I think a lot of that comes from patriarchal systems that tend to devalue things that are deemed feminine, which tends to be expressing feelings and being vulnerable and receiving. They're all sort of stereotypes or socialized characterizations of what feminine and masculine is but i think the u.s american society in particular sort of values producing and aggressiveness and going after it and initiating. And some qualities that are perfectly uh, appropriate and valid, but but if it's missing other aspects of uh, allowing, uh, like encouraging us to feel our feelings and to express vulnerability and to connect on an emotional level and those kinds of things, then it's out of balance and it's missing sort of a holistic approach to being, let alone being in relationships with other people.
2: Absolutely, And talking about relationships, and feelings, people can only give you love they can give themselves. Would you please tell us more about it?
3: Sure. I I think we're better able to love others when we love ourselves. We're better able to receive love when we love ourselves. But I also think that this can be a misnomer or there can be a myth about this because oftentimes we learn to love ourselves through loving another. Sometimes we... In in learning how to love ourselves, we do that in relationship. So I think sometimes people set themselves up for failure and thinking, oh, I can't be in a relationship until I learn to love myself. And and that can become a lifelong impasse because it's it's we're both hurt and yeah we're, we're hurt in relationships but we also heal in relationships and so there while we may need to do some internal work for a period of time and again better a relationship with ourselves to a certain extent it, we're never going to reach this ultimate sort of place that we are completely self-actualized and evolved and now i'm ready to be in a relationship it's it's yeah. really through our interactions that we learn to to do this work too <laughs>
2: I love your approach and I love how you explain it because so many therapists say that, no, you cannot have relationship before you love yourself because you will not be able to give mm. that much love to other person. But I love how you mm. said it, that you can develop more self-love in a relationship. I think so too.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's just so, it's so valuable. I mean, I, I remember my, my long- Longest term relationship with my therapist, who I still see on occasion. I mean, this is a, a multiple-year relationship, was was one of the most healing experiences for me because she gave me the unconditional love and support, regardless of all the the the, the stuff I was rejecting about myself. The, dark shadow material i i didn't like and and my imperfections and all that her consistency with showing up and being there and demonstrating that i was worthy of love was the the most transformational aspect of of that work so so again sometimes in receiving love we learn to love ourselves
2: yeah i love that
3: Hmm. <laughs> would,
2: would you please tell us more about tragic optimism
3: well I, I think that there's a, a lot of different terms like toxic positivity tragic, tragic optimism I think it all sort of points to that sometimes we can overdo it <laughs> mm-hmm. there can be too much of an extreme of you can't experience or talk about anything that's ne- you know perceived as negative and that really misses the point we we already have we're already geared towards negativity we have a negativity bias and and there's a function to that it's actually to be able to perceive threats to our existence it comes from our evolutionary history and our development in order to sort of recognize prey and keep ourselves safe from danger but it's not so effective now it, it it there's some research to say that in couples there there needs to be a 5 to 1 ratio five positive experiences or expressions of love or validation for every one negative thing and i think that can be true for us um, as individuals but it it doesn't mean that we don't experience suffering or pain or discontent or anxiety depression whatever ails us right we need to recognize that that there that's there that that is part of our common know at humanity that 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 this isn't an avoidance of everything negative we need to experience those things in life too that's part of of the process but being holistic about it and recognizing okay i can both acknowledge this negative emotion thought experience attend to it allow it to be there feel it learn from it and then weave in sort of the missed experience or the reassurance or the the care, the support, the compassion that we need as well. It's it's both and not either or.
2: <laughs> yeah. It's just like allowing ourselves to still feel it, but then be positive mm-hmm. and learn from it, like you said. Yeah.
3: Yeah. It's 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 about avoiding rumination and obsession, but also giving it its due time. The things that we tend to resist tend to things that that again get louder until we pay attention, last longer. There's this saying, whatever we resist persists. So it does the act the the actual opposite of what we intend it to do. Sometimes when we just recognize that it's happening, allow it to be there, be curious about what it's connected to, right? Learn from it. And then attend to it from care. With care, that's what allows us to to get what we need to out of it, and then for it to just organically, naturally uh, move on to something else.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And how do you set boundaries?
3: Boundaries, so important for living. (laughs) Yeah, I think coming back to the wisdom of our body can be a, a really valuable thing. Sometimes people aren't connected to feeling states, especially if they've learned to be people pleasers or to be hyper vigilant for other people's needs but don't really know their own it can feel like too hard of a task to recognize what what they're feeling so coming back to the body is is uh, a useful thing are they feeling restriction are they they tight are they are their shoulders tight and and raised are you breathing rapidly or shallow are you flushed red like there's lots of signs and signals that a body, Um, tells us how it's reacting to circumstances, and that can be the pathway to understand our feelings, our needs, and then to recognize if someone is actually overstepping a boundary or not meeting a need, then we can advocate for ourselves. We can assert our needs. We can make requests. We can say, hey, that didn't feel good. I would like for you to do this differently boundaries sometimes people you know misperceive it as a blockade to intimacy but it's actually what allows us to know ourselves to know the distinction of where we begin and end and where someone else begins and end and to recognize that they're the distance between us so that we can bridge that gap to get closer and recognize that we are getting closer or to put some distance if, if we need to love from a greater distance.
2: It's like basically recognizing if you're in a relationship or you're with some person and they give mm-hmm. you anxiety or they giving you bad feelings, that's already kind mm-hmm. of a red flag.
3: Yeah, exactly. Like, for example, if you're in a relationship with someone, friendship, coworker, family, intimate partner, or otherwise, and they are, constantly putting you down, criticizing you, ridiculing, judging you for lots of reasons. You can, you can acknowledge it. You can say, Hey, I noticed that this is happening a lot and I'm not, it, it doesn't make me feel good. And it makes me not want to hang out with you as much. I need you to recognize this and to be much more encouraging. Can you do that? To, to, to set that conversation up, to be able to acknowledge the the truth of your experience and ask specifically for what you want. And sometimes it takes multiple reminders and that's okay. But if someone is, if it's an egregious thing, it can be a one-time thing where like, this is a make it or break it for our relationship. And unless you change this or acknowledge it, take responsibility and do it differently, I can't continue to be in contact with you. And other times it's, it's, it's a process that's maybe less urgent but still needing attention.
2: Yeah. How do you overcome fear of failure?
3: Fear of failure. Sometimes it's fear of success too, but yeah, it's it 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 can I, I, I think a lot of us have this this idea that we have to do things from the get-go, out of the gate in a perfect way. And unless we do so, then we're not worthy, we don't have value, we judge ourselves and, and that's just gonna, again, create these roadblocks to, to living and to taking risks and doing what we need to, to move forward. So I think the first thing is to recognize the fear, not to judge it, not to try and push it away, to recognize it, to allow it, uh, to be kind with it. Sometimes our fear is based on, things that we've internalized from the outside world. I think a lot of people in COVID and into the new year are focused on all kinds of things, but, but typically there's a lot of talk about COVID 15 or 20 or gaining weight or being less active and a lot of body image issues coming up to the surface and I think the more that we can recognize where those come from, that, that there's a multi-billion dollar beauty industry for a reason, that we're all in this together, that there can be things that we're hearing from our peers and family and social media that puts pressure on ourselves. We internalize that we have to look a certain way in order to be loved. And, and meeting that fear, we can recognize it and then start providing like it's a process, right? But I know that this stuff is easier said than done, but it, it's, it's a process of recognizing that we have inherent worth or value, not based on our physical appearance, but based on our, our existence. And the more that we can show up for ourselves and love our bodies, whatever body shape or size we happen to be in today, then that's, that's, that's what allows us to move forward. It's, it's really not until we accept ourselves as we are today, then we can make changes that we want in life.
2: I agree. And I love how you said it, fear of um, success. I think it goes kind of hand in hand too.
3: Right. (laughs) Totally. Yeah. It, it sometimes, if we've been taught not to be proud or or not to be big, or that if we put ourselves out there, then we're going to be rejected, or then, then we can have this fear of success where it's like, oh, if I actually get what I say I want, or I think I want then that can be a scary thing too. And it can also be then if I achieve that, then then coming face-to-face face with, well, did that provide me the kind of satisfaction I was thinking it would? And then having to deal with that material that comes up too. So there's all kinds of things that can be connected to fear of success as well.
2: So true, yeah. And What is the best advice you ever received?
3: The best advice I ever received? Hmm, well... I'm not thinking of any person or any particular advice right now, but I think this overall message that we're talking about, it's really my my central mission in life is to spread greater compassion in the world. It can sound cheesy and trite, but it is a deep felt connection because I think my own lived experience, I... Uh, grew up in an environment where it produced this self-rejection, self-hatred, really a lot of internal pain and strife in as a teenager for myself. And then going from that place to learning the process of self-acceptance and, and appreciation and love, I, I recognize I have a lived experience of, of what a big shift it is to go from a place of self-hatred to self-compassion. I think our world sorely needs us to show up for ourselves and each other from much advice it is what is a lot of the wars and the polarization and the conflict are coming from a deep lack of empathy of understanding of caring of of fighting the good fight and and standing up for what's right and social justice and and those types of things but also recognizing our shared and common humanity and doing it from a place of a fierce radical kindness and compassion in the midst of conflict
2: and that's the best message i have received for this question
3: No <laughs> oh, <laughs> great well, i'm happy to hear that
2: thank you and where can sure. our listeners find you your social handles all the information sure
3: my website is livingmorefully.com and my Instagram handle is my name. It's James, last name spelled G U A Y. And then my credentials, L M F T, which stands for Licensed Marriage and Family Therapist. So it's James Gay, L M F T.
2: Great. <laughs> right. Thank you so much, James. It was my pleasure.
3: Oh, it was a pleasure speaking to you, too. Thanks for having this platform and putting out good stuff in the world. I appreciate that. <laughs>
2: Thank you for being my guest. That was all for today, guys. I hope you really enjoyed this episode as much as I did. Not Basic Blonde podcast is available on all the major platforms with new episodes every Tuesday and Thursday. To support the show, tag NBB Podcast on your Instagram stories and check out more behind the scenes on Instagram as well at Blunt underscore or NBB Podcast. And if you haven't, subscribe, rate and review Not Basic Blonde podcast on Apple Podcasts you so much, guys. Have a great day.
1: You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator.